Anyway, we're in Exodus chapter 25, and we've just got one verse in this particular place. But hope you'll keep in mind, uh, when God said, put this in the ark, he was putting it in a place of safekeeping. Now, there's at least two more applications to that. And we're going to study them because they've all got an application and an implication for you and I in the New Testament. But after he had given Moses the instructions to build the ark, which started in chapter 25 and verse 10, down in verse 16, he said, And thou shalt put into the ark the testimony which I shall give ye. Now, there's a lot of people that just off the top of their head maybe have not studied it. They say the testimony, and they think of the two tablets of stone. Those were included, but the word testimony was a witness, and it was it covered at least it covered all the contents of the ark. He was not saying here we're just going to put the tablets of stone in there. There was at least three items in there, and there was four that came into play. But uh, let's look at that for the full contents. Go back to Hebrews chapter nine. And then we'll skip over to a controversial place. I've got my opinion. I don't know that it really makes any difference. But in Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 4 is the only verse where we find the uh, very clear statement about what God had told Moses to put into the ark. Uh, Let's go to verse 3. And after the second veil... The tabernacle, which is called the holiest of all, that's where the ark was kept, which had the golden censer and the ark of the covenant overlaid about with gold, therein was the golden pot that had manna, that's number one, Aaron's rod that budded, that's number two, and the table of covenant, that's number three. And then, of course, it goes on to talk about the cherubims and the mercy streets, and we'll get mercy seat. We'll get to that a little later on. But go back now to Exodus chapter 24. And... Uh, Again, I'll give you some of the opinion of some good men. I'm not criticizing them. I just, I, I know what my opinion is, but it, you can make yours. But in Exodus chapter 24 and verse number 7, talking about Moses, says, And he took the book of the covenant and read in the audience of the people, and they said, All that the Lord has said will we do and be obedient. And Moses took the blood and sprinkled it on the people and said, Behold the blood of the covenant which the Lord has made with you concerning these words, the words that were written in the book of the law. Now, go back to to Deuteronomy, not back. Go forward to Deuteronomy, chapter 34, 31, I'm sorry. Deuteronomy, chapter 31. And verse 24, we're talking about a book that Moses somehow, I don't know who read it, but it was written, the law, and we don't really know what else might have been written in there concerning God's laws and God's commandments. But in Deuteronomy 31 and verse 24, 
And it came to pass when Moses had made an end of writing the words of the law in a book until they were finished that Moses commanded the Levites that bear the ark of the covenant of the Lord saying, take this book of the law and put it in the side of the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God that it may be there for a witness against thee. Uh, now two things, I'll cover the first one quickly because we'll get back to it later. That the contents of the ark all each content of the ark had a warning to Israel. He said, put it in there that it be a testimony against you. All of the other items were a testimony against Israel. Now we'll comment on that because that's the last section of our study. How that God was warning Israel as a reminder to them that they'd been a rebellious people. And that applies, and we'll look at it to you and I, it applies to you and I too, but... <laughs> Uh, I've divided it into three sections. We won't get through, but number one, let's look at those three items that are in there. Well, let me go back to that book. I've read a number of people out of barns and different ones that are good, that I've got a lot of confidence in, but they're men just like you and I are. They are divided on what some of them said the language in the Greek language says that book was put in the ark, inside the ark. Another one says it was laid beside the ark. I don't think there's any way to prove it. I'm not sure that it makes any difference. Uh, it was in the Holy of Holies without any question, and it was put there for a reason. God said it'd be a testimony against you. Uh, again, I could get ahead and get into that, but be better to wait till we get there. But uh, number one, let's look at those three items and what they picture to the Israelites and also to you and I today. Number one, we look at the golden pot of manna. And I'm going to give you some extra scriptures if you'd like to write, write them down. I filled this out late last night. But in number one, that pot of manna was a picture of our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, and I've listed four things. There's, there's five that could be listed. Number one, it probably should have been listed maybe, but it doesn't really. You can write it in there if you want to. It was small. A number of commentators that are Greek scholars say that speaks of the humility of Christ. He, was, he came humbling himself. Of course, we all know that from the New Testament. That's clear. But if you want to write that in there. But in four ways, it pictures our Lord Jesus Christ. If you look in Exodus chapter 16 and verse 14. Now, you can write that on beside round if you want to. It was, it was a round object indicating, and I went back and looked up in the Greek, it was not like a snowflake or something with ragged edges or something. It was a round little piece of manna, which uh, the Bible speaks of as bread. But Exodus chapter 16 and verse 14, these are the scriptures that go out beside it that I did not put on this outline, but you can jot them if you'd like to. 16 and verse 14, and when the dew that lay was gone... And when the dew that lay was gone up, behold, upon the face of the wilderness there lay a small round thing, as small as a horse frost on the ground. And when the children of Israel saw it, they said one to another, it is manna. Now we stop right there. The word manna means, what is it? 
they looked at it and said, what is it? And they, they didn't, they'd never seen that before. And the rest of the verse says, for they wouldst not what it was. And Moses said unto them, this is the bread which the Lord had given you to eat. Come on in. Uh, so number one, Exodus 16, 14 tells us it was round. And that speaks of the perfection of Christ. It was a perfectly round section with no deviation, nothing. It didn't have corners. It wasn't misshaped like a snowflake. It, there was no imperfection in our Lord Jesus Christ. And that pictures he was the sinless Son of God over in the New Testament. Number two, it was white. Now turn to Exodus 16.31. You're still on the same page probably. Exodus 16.31. And the house of Israel called the name thereof manna, and it was like a coriander seed, white, and the taste of it was like wafers made with honey. In two ways, you can put Exodus 16.31 for maybe later reference. One day you'll be teaching this by the word white and by the word honey. The white pictures the purity of Christ, and the honey pictures the sweet tasting of Christ. And he was the sweet, sinless, gracious, loving Son of God, and there was no imperfections in him whatsoever. And you know, we sing songs about the sweet taste of honey. So he's pictured in Christ, and then number four, and probably what ties it together even more, back in Exodus 16, 4, which we've, uh, uh, 16, verse 4, which is back just one page there, uh, it says, and then the Lord, and then said the Lord unto Moses, Behold, I will rain bread from heaven for you, and the people should go out and gather a certain rate every day that I may prove them. We'll get into that later on. But it was in a number of places. It's called. It's referred back in the Old Testament as being bread. If you, in the same chapter, if you want to go back to verse 22 that we just read a minute ago. Or no, we didn't read. We read right above that. But Exodus 16 and verse 22. And it came to pass that upon the sixth day they gathered twice as much bread. What is that picture? That pictures our Lord Jesus Christ as being the true bread. Let's look at that just for fun. Go to We've looked at Exodus 22 and Exodus 4. Now go to John chapter 6. I'm doing this for a reason. I've tried to emphasize to you again and again so that as later on when you read your scriptures in the Gospels and in the book of Hebrews, how many of you more and more now, even in your mind, maybe not reading it, but things that you have read in the back, you can see how the Holy Spirit of God tied the book of Hebrews and the four Gospels particularly all based on the tabernacle. Let me put this in. I hope you'll remember this. The four Gospels, do you all understand that those are not literally part of the New Testament economy? They're in the New Testament canon of Scripture. But if you read over in Hebrews and in Peter, there, there was no New Testament church. There was no New Testament covenant because the Bible says a testament is not in force until the tester is dead. So that's your dividing line. And I said that to say this, when you read the Gospels, if you're not, this is where people get so confused and come up with false teaching. Our Lord Jesus was by birth what? A Jew. Y'all with me? Who was he talking to? 
He was talking to Jews. What was he talking to them about? He was talking to them about what they knew. What was all of their beliefs based upon? Based on the tabernacle. And he was referring back, and those Jews, you think if you could study a lifetime in the tabernacle and know a lot about it, not compared to what those Jews knew, because they built their whole life around that tabernacle. Everything that had to do with their worship was based on the tabernacle. They didn't know anything about the New Testament. And it's clear they didn't understand the pictures that you and I see today. They did later on, as though some of them got converted and came to Christ. But look in John, uh, John chapter 6 and verse 32. You'll see this. Thank you, Will. John chapter 6 and verse 32. Then Jesus said unto them, Barely, barely, I say unto you, Moses, where are we going? <coughs> We're going back to the days of Moses and the tabernacle. Moses gave you not that bread from heaven, but my Father giveth you the what? The true bread. Do you all see the picture? Jesus was talking to those Jews about something they understood. They said, you remember back, you, you studied the tabernacle, you remember Moses, that manna came down from heaven? That was just to sustain you physically. My Father's giving you the bread from heaven. The true, he underlined the word true bread. Now look over in uh, look over in verse 48 and you'll see it even clearer. <clears throat> Jesus said, I am that bread of life. Your fathers did eat manna in the wilderness. Are y'all seeing what I'm talking to you about? Jesus is always going back and building on what they knew in the tabernacle, trying to, and not trying, but working toward bringing them to the truth that he was what was pictured by Moses in the wilderness when God gave them the manna from heaven. He said, that was a picture of me. Do y'all not understand that? You remember I said the tabernacle has a tremendous a part in a lot of ways, but it was also used to show those Jewish people that grew up in the tabernacle, he was showing them what they should look for when Messiah came. And they said, he said, by this you shall know that this is your true Messiah. They didn't. They rejected that. But do you all see all this coming together? Now look on. He said, I am the true bread of life. Your fathers did eat manna in the wilderness and are dead. This is the bread which cometh down from heaven that a man may eat thereof and not die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread that I will give him is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. We could go into that a lot. They said, how do we eat the flesh of Christ? Because you and I understand that even in the Lord's Supper that's pictured. But So number one, that golden pot that was in there was a picture of what they should look for in their Messiah, the true bread from heaven. For you and I, it's a picture of what our Lord and our Savior is like. It was a picture of the Christ of the New Testament. Any questions? All right, let's look at the second picture. Uh, Aaron's rod, and this is so, my goodness, all the truths that's in this. And we won't get to them today because there's some in there that's extremely serious for you and I today. But Aaron's rod that budded <coughs> is a picture of the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. Turn to Isaiah chapter 53. And we've been here a number of times. 
How many of y'all know the background of Aaron's rod and how it came about budding? Some do, some don't. We'll get to that probably next week, and it's vitally important. Y'all make me say that again? It's vitally important. And it's got something, there's, when we get to the last section of this, we're looking at the pictures, and we're going to look at the provider, and then we're going to look at the warnings that God's got, and they're serious. And we, we won't take time right now, but in Isaiah chapter 53, it all came about just briefly because the people rebelled against God, against Moses, and they said, you've taken too much authority by yourself. You and Aaron, y'all think y'all got all the answers, Google, run everything, we're supposed to follow you. And there was a band of men, three, they got another group of men, 150, and they formed a coalition against Moses and Aaron, and they were going to overthrow them and have it their way. We'll read all that next week, so don't let me get ahead of yourself. But as a result, God said, Moses, you, talk, you call all the tribes of Israel together, and you, have, you select one man, a leader, out of every tribe. They all had these rods, and he said, you tell every one of them to bring a rod, and put their name on it for that tribe and Aaron put Aaron's name on it and you put them in the Holy of Holies in front of the Ark of the Testimony and tomorrow morning the one that buds is going to be my choice as God's leader of course Aaron's rod was the one that budded but it's pictured you have to look at it but pictured in Isaiah 53 and verse 2 pictures the resurrection uh, in verse 2 he said for he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of dry ground, he had no form nor comeliness, and when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. So Christ is pictured in that verse as a root out of dry ground growing up. Growing up, planted, growing, alive. Y'all with me? Look at verse 8. And he was taken from prison and from judgment, and who shall declare his generation? For he was what? Cut off out of the land of the living. They cut that dry root off. And it died. Verse 10. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin. Now watch. He was alive. He was crucified. And then it says, He shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days. And the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. And he shall see the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. By his knowledge shall my righteousness, my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. It said he was raised, he was grew up out of dry ground, he was cut off, he died, he came back to life, and he said, He'll see. And he's still alive today at the right hand of the throne of God. Make an intercession for you and for me. Turn to Revelation chapter one, verse eighteen. Now, I'm going into maybe a little more detail, but I hope you're jotting some notes down because the three items in there are one of the very serious part to the Jews and to you and I too. But just to verify, look in Revelation chapter 1 and verse 18. said, I am he that liveth and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And have the keys of hell and of death. Now turn the page to Revelation chapter 2 and verse 8. 
and unto the angel of the church at Smyrna write, These things, these things saith the first and the last, which was dead and is alive. Do y'all see the picture of Aaron's rod? Pictures the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. That rod was at one time growing. It was cut down. It was a dead rod. And who would have ever believed that it could have budded? And not only did it bud it, we'll see later on, maybe next week, it bore fruit. Said it budded and it had almonds. That's got an implication to you and I that we ought to look at. And we'll look at it when we get to that part of the scripture. So the, the, the golden pot of manna pictured our Lord Jesus Christ. Perfection, purity, sweet tasting, God sent bread from heaven, true bread. Aaron's rod pictured the true resurrection of Jesus Christ. We'll get into it more a little later in the lesson or next week. Then number three, there was the tables of law. That pictures the preservation of, that. there's several pictures, but right here we're looking at just this picture. It pictures a preservation of the preservation of the Word of God. God said, put this, the, 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 the Ten Commandments is what this referring to, and that was God's written law that God wrote with his own finger. You say, how did he do that? I don't know. But it says, the scripture says, he wrote it with his own finger. And he put it in the ark, which was a place of what? Safekeeping. We'll get to this too. Boy, it's so good, Jeff. When they put that mercy seat on top of that ark with those items in that ark, that lid was never, ever to be opened again. It was not to be moved. It was not to be peeped into. One man peeped into it. God killed him standing there on the spot. It's a picture that God said, I'm preserving my word forever, and nobody has any business touching it. What a condemnation to what's going on today with all of these ungodly hundreds of translations, 300 and something translations that's come along in the last hundred years. You know why they do that? They say, oh, this is easy to understand, so you buy it. It's all about money. It's not about the Word of God. I can tell you from one experience of one of them, it's about money. When we were over at Thrift Haven, we put in a bookstore. We contacted one of those giant publishers, Zondervan. They would not let us be recognized as a bookstore because we didn't have enough square feet, and we didn't have a road frontage, and we didn't have a window to display their name in. And they said, no, we're out here to make money. And I wrote them and talked to them. I said, we're trying to get good things into good. We said, we don't care. If you ain't got a display window and you're not in a, a prime location, we're not considering you a bookkeeping and we're not giving you any kind of discount. And they were not very nice about it. One of the saddest things about this came to me is that they've taken the God's Word, the original, of, you know, the one that we are used to, out of the schools. Oh, yeah. Of the schools. Oh, that's been gone. I know, but you remember that. How many of y'all remember they started the first grade? They started, we had a reading of the Bible, something. Amen. We had prayer. We said prayer, allegiance to the flag. We said allegiance to the Bible. Yeah. We took all that out. Now we got metal detectors and security officers in there to keep people from killing each other. And we got people that are so stupid. Anyway, let's don't get off on that. <laughs> but y'all know what I'm talking about. Y'all know what I'm talking about. They could clean our society up. 
They could clean up. You know, I was on the police department here in Memphis. This, you could straighten this city out in 90 days if they'd turn them loose and let them police like we did in the 1950s. But uh, again, it was placed. I want you to see. You might, you might make a note of this. It pictures how jealous God was for His word. He said, you put these tablets of my commandments in this ark for safekeeping. And we'll look at it next week. You put that lid on and that crown that I said that they didn't have in this picture. That'll come into play. And then God forbid them to ever open that lid again. And you got a blessing coming in that too. Uh, look, you all know these scriptures, but we'll look at them anyway very quickly. Uh, Boy, my watch was upside down. I got a lot of time left. <laughs> uh, Matthew chapter 7, Matthew chapter 5, verse 17. If y'all let me turn it back over, we can do the whole lesson. But cut y'all may not like that. All right, Hebrew, uh, Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 7. Y'all familiar with these verses, but we'll read them. Matthew 5, verse 7. Thank you. See, y'all get me confused. Chapter 5 and verse 17. Jesus is talking. Think not that I am come to destroy the law. That goes back to what I passed you out a few weeks ago, antinomianism. God said, I'm not doing away with the law. The law is still real. He said, but I came not to destroy the law, but do what? To fill full. Y'all understand that man has never and cannot ever keep the law. You ought to get Pentecostal and shout that the Lord Jesus Christ came and fulfilled it in my place. And because of that, I'm declared righteous. Johnny, can you imagine yourself being declared righteous? I can't. And your wife can't. And my wife couldn't either, you know. And all of y'all know what I'm just being facetious. Y'all know what I'm talking about, though. Right? She still questions it. Yeah, well, we do too. <laughs> no, I'm just being facetious, you know. But thank God that because of our Lord Jesus Christ, he said, I came to fill. He has, it, and it is just pictured in, in the throne of God as though you and I had completely fulfilled all of the law of God Amen. to perfection. And yet we break it every, every hour on the hour. Uh, look over in Romans chapter 10 and verse 4. Romans chapter 10 and verse 4. Romans chapter 10 and verse 4. It says, For Christ is the end of the law of righteousness to everyone that believe it. God said, that puts an end to it. I've done it all. I've fulfilled it, and I've done it to perfection, and I've declared you to be perfect in Christ Jesus because our Lord Jesus Christ cannot see through the blood of Christ on the top of that mercy seat. Our God of heaven cannot see through that blood of Christ on the top of that mercy seat by his own volition. We'll get there next week. You say, well, I think all of y'all know, but the Galatians, turn to Galatians chapter 2. This is not in your notes. If you want to write it down there, I'm sure all of you already know it. But why did God give the law? 
chapter 3, Galatians chapter 3 and verse 22. But the scriptures have concluded all under sin that the promise by faith of Jesus Christ might be given to them that believe. But before faith came, we were kept under the law. You and I were still there until we trusted Jesus Christ by faith. Shut up unto the faith that should afterwards be revealed. Wherefore the law was our schoolmaster. I'm trying to get to the point. What was the purpose of the law? What was the purpose? Why did God give the law if he knew we couldn't keep it? He said the law was given unto you, and I'm paraphrasing, wherefore the law was our what? Schoolmaster. What does a schoolmaster do? Teach you shit. And what was he teaching? To bring us unto Christ that we might be justified by faith. The law was given for you and I to look at ourselves and say, I can't keep this. It's impossible to keep this. I've got no hope. And God says, you're right. You've got no hope. So I'm going to do it for you. Christ said, I'm the end of the law. And he fulfilled the law for us. And when we see the law, that's to tell us, Ernest Gambrell, you're a sinner. And you've broken the law. And you can't keep it. But if you'll trust me by faith, all that sin debt that you've got over here, I'm going to stamp it paid in full. And I'm going to declare you righteous because my son kept the law and he died on the cross and he paid your debt. Let me just say this in closing. We'll close early. We'll get to that mercy seat in two weeks. But those three items were put in there to show Israel that they were rebellious, they were disobedient, and they rejected God's plan for them. But he said, by faith, I'm putting it in this ark, a place of safekeeping, and I'm putting this top on here, and it's never to be opened, and then we're going to sprinkle blood on the top of that ark. Somebody said, is there anything God can't do? Yeah, by his own volition. He's sovereign. He can't see through the blood of Christ. And your sins are under the mercy seat. And the blood is on top of the mercy seat. And your sins are never seen again throughout the entire end of the universe. I don't know what that means to you, but thank God.